0: Data, artificial intelligence, the metaverse, crypto and web 3, and quantum computing are just a few of the technology innovations that are changing the way we live, work, and experience the universe. I am your host, Ganesh Patmanavan, and this is Stories in AI, a podcast where we explore the various facets of technologies like AI, its impact on individuals, organizations, and the society. You will hear from a variety of experts and practitioners their personal stories their best practices and advice to put technology to work i hope you enjoy this engaging conversations now before we begin a note about our sponsor this episode is sponsored by experian whom you may know as the consumer credit bureau but they are at heart a data company when you're buying a car or home sending your kids to college, or borrowing to grow your business, Experian is most likely helping you behind the scenes. They unlock the power of data to make better decisions, get access to financial services, and to prevent crime, unlocking a whole world of opportunities for individuals and organizations. Find out more at Experian.com. In today's conversation, I spoke to Thiraj Pandey, Deeridge is best known for his role as the founder and CEO of Nutanix. Nutanix created the category of hyper-converged infrastructure and disrupted the data center industry. He uh, stepped out of the company a little while after the company went public, started a few foundations, and has leisurely focused his efforts on his latest venture, DevRev, which, by the way, made news of raising the biggest seed financing round of over $70 million probably the largest in Silicon Valley history. But Dirich is a deep thinker, a fearless yet Zen-like leader who leads with humility and passion and has an amazing perspective of what's happening in the world of technology and the world in general. I had an amazing conversation with him. I learned a ton in this interaction and I'm sure you'll enjoy and learn from this too. Take a listen. Dheeraj, the man, the legend. Welcome to Stories in AI. Uh,
1: I'm humbled. Thank you, and I look forward to learning.
0: No, I, it's uh, you're you're always so humble, and I'm I'm so grateful you took the time to do this, and it's been uh, I know we reconnected after so long, and you've been a little busy, I can imagine, uh, right? Taking a company public, building it out, and then going in and building another huge you know, uh, potentially category defining company again. So we want to talk about all of that. But, um, you know, as you know, this, uh, this show is all about, we started out just as AI, but then kind of broadened it out into like technology, how it impacts humanity and what we do as a way to be participants in that particular journey, right? And, you know, so we interview a lot of industry uh, industry leaders who actually are putting technology to work and folks like you who are actually revolutionizing the use of this technology. To have this so excited to have you here i want to start off with you know everybody knows your story but you know one you know i and and i don't want to go into the usual thing about like hey Dheeraj, tell me your story because you're you're a popular guy right now right but tell us something about your background that i know there's probably a lot of experiences but something about your background you can look back and say that experience got me here or you know it it made, it it resonated so much that that was it had a huge impact of where i am today
1: you know one of the things that i talk about a lot is uh the uh, influence and impact of uh you know just being an apple user since 2007 actually even 2004 i would say um has had has had a huge impact on my ability to um i would say Invoke the word minimalism, and uh, invoke the word design, and invoke the word delight. Um, you know, while you're conducting business, or you know, building products, or talking to people, and being like a what people expect a leader or a manager to be. I think there's a lot to learn from that experience. You know, and and this is going back fifteen years, a decade and a half now. Um, I would say. Uh, learning with Apple as they actually grew their product portfolio. And I mean, it was a clunky product in 2007, as you and I would remember uh, to basically seeing everything emerge, the app store emerge and the iPad come out and how they cannibalize their own business of, uh, you know, iPads with the bigger iPhones and things like that. And um, to now looking at Mac, I mean, I'm a a pretty, uh, you know, I would say a diehard Mac user as well. Um, And I think in all of this, just learning minimalism, simplification, uh, you know, what it means to really think about reducing friction that has really shaped my overall career and overall uh, thinking even at home with children. I mean, talk about Mm -hmm. uh, three things and no more than three things, you know, Uh, and maybe going back all the way to 1992 and, 97, <clears throat> some decisions in my own life where I took some big risks and they panned out. And as they say, you know, um, the biggest risk is not taking one. And in many ways, I think that's been a story of my life. So uh, I would yeah. say, um, you know, exploring the unthinkable and uh, really learning to simplify and continue to evolve in that journey uh, That is part, you know- of my experience as yeah. well.
0: That's that's, uh, that's so powerful. And in fact, you know, for the record, in 2007, I wasn't using a Mac because I was a diehard Dell guy, right? So I was a Dell for 11 years and I left only in 2016. And then I fell in love with the Mac, of course, <laughs> after that, right? So, uh, but no, it's such a, such a beautiful thing, right? How little things in life in general, right? Where you start seeing this thing and you start seeing association um, and you use the word minimalism and simplification and stuff too. In a lot of ways when i see you beyond your technologist background and you know how you are as a leader and a lot of the writings you did and and how uh, from my other friends in Nutanix, who tell me and how you you know conduct business and how you treat people there is so much of that you know i would kind of call it that zen calmness to it and i want to actually explore that a little bit later with you on that right but um but it's fascinating how little things just add up and kind of gives you perspective. And then it kind of carries on with you uh, as a bubble through your life, right? So um, pretty awesome. Let me let me start off with asking you about how does Deeraj Pandey see the world today, right? We have a lot of things going on, um, you know, just coming out of a pandemic. You started a new company and... Uh, I love that, you know, we're going to kill the PM post that recently (laughs) you just, it's it's the anti uh, post that you did, right? You know, about the the role of the product manager. So how does Deeraj Pandey see the world today? Not just from a technology, but across what's happening around the world.
1: Yeah, it's a very profound question. And I... Uh, Think about this also from the point of uh, our children, you know, we have three of them and be like, okay, uh, what's the world that they're headed towards. And some things are very clear, Um, you know, with the uh, advent of video and bandwidth and all that stuff, you'll start to see a lot of businesses, you know, basically expand and use uh, different parts of the world for, many things beyond just offshoring and outsourcing and back office uh, work. I think there's going to be front office work happening from all over the world. That's for sure. Because the whole generation of people are willing to actually align with your time zone. If that's what it takes to sell to you or to support you or demo to you or um, make you successful uh, in customer success and so on. So I think that is one thing that is here to stay. And if anything, uh, COVID taught us that, uh, a lot of yeah. field reps were really, uh, doing the job like an inside salesperson would do and still go close large deals, you know? So yeah. video is here to stay and, um, uh, we got to make sure we don't overdo it. So there's going to be uh, a good balance between, uh, the face to face and really coming and meeting people and building relationships versus doing a lot of transactional work on, on video and remote. Um, I think globalization is at risk for sure. And again, this is something that uh, you'd hear in Davos, but it actually affects all of us. I mean, uh, I was reading this article yesterday about, uh, about uh, Taiwan and, and China. I'm like, wow, I just hope uh, we don't see another sort of war-like situation emerge here uh, where all of a sudden, the supply of semiconductor itself is going to be in question you know and how do we all deal with it uh is going to be a big question mark there you know uh yeah. we all know about commodities and, and things like that so uh you know we we are in i mean it wouldn't be an understatement to say that there's some challenging times ahead you know yeah. uh, interest rates uh, are another question mark and with that comes stock market and everything else so I think given all of that, uh, I do come back to the Zen thing you spoke about, which is, so what's in your control? Mm -hmm. And you can only take care of that. So uh, I personally focus on that and I want the company to focus on things that's in our control as opposed to try to surmise everything and think about uh, how it's all looking uh, not so happy. And I mean, definitely things are not looking as, uh, as... As happy but at the same time i feel like this idea that you can be more efficient in the business because of video uh is a calming force and a compensating force there as well
0: that's interesting you know and a couple of things on that note so you know video globalization at risk and stuff i also think that we probably you know rightly so but early enough define globalization a little differently than what it is turning out to be right the first thing that you mentioned without with videos and with people and the access to it, the internet and connectivity across there's a new mean for uh, meaning for globalization that's coming together right how do you collaborate at scale across different time zones and stuff what probably may, you know change was you don't need the the, the powers to be actually to dictate the rules of doing that. I mean, that was the original definition of globalization, right? It was state control and stuff like that. So I think there is something there where, you know, it's it's at risk, but it's getting transformed as we do it. Now, I'm not going to cross over to the crypto territory right now yet, but, you know, there are some interesting parallels here where, you know, there's the, the, the old and the new ways that are having a tuzzle in the market.
1: Yeah, you know. yeah. And I think it will happen. I mean, even though... Crypto is going through its own winter, but I feel like the underlying blockchain and what you can do with uh, uh, the blockchain in a decentralized way, even for B2B companies, uh, is up for grabs. Um, just like the internet of 2000, we, we thought that you know this was just a froth and it wasn't to be the company that persisted and they did well uh, and they became the e-commerce giants that we all go and, uh, you know, transact with on a daily basis. And there were those that scoffed at the internet bubble burst. And I think web three is going through that at the same time. I think there's a lot of incontrovertible things about web three that are worth really leveraging. And as a company, we're also learning and and, uh, doing quite a bit. I mean, one of the things we did recently was we were getting, uh, so many friends and family to say, can I invest in DevRev? And like, we can't take small checks. You know, you know, there's a cost of a lawyer and all this other stuff that adds up. And then in the last six months said, you know what, let, let, let's just go and make this a little bit more digital where we don't have to have face-to-face meetings and lawyer fees and all sorts of signatures and paperwork and stuff like that. So we put that as the token on uh, the blockchain. Uh, we're doing it in Ethereum. Um, and uh, we said we can now take $50,000 checks. So the whole thing is digital. It's only accredited investors, you know? So uh, there is a way of actually atomizing your relationship with uh, with some of these friends and family investors who want to come in early if that's what it takes, you know, uh, which would not have been possible in the old world. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I think uh, that's just a, tip of the sphere, in some sense what you can do with uh, plg we'll talk about product led growth as well but mm-hmm. the idea that your user is your micro seller because of how big an advocate and champion they are so how do you reward them you know you probably need to reward them for the proof of work and that work is really how they're spending time in your product and you know helping the community and answering questions and, and things of that nature that can be codified through tokens as well. You know? So there's something here which will probably also change the face of B2B in the coming you know, three to five years, which people are beginning to laugh at and say, well, crypto is just uh, untouchable. But I think the 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 folks who are really going to touch it are the ones who will actually create some differentiation over time.
0: No, I'm as bullish as you are on that front too. Like, definitely, I think, you know, like you said, like B two B, all of the notions that we all grew up in when we were initially doing B two C, it's enterprise sales, top down, sell high, and you know, uh, customer success and stuff. All of that is now have the 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 infrastructure in place with things like crypto, the blockchain, and stuff to really disrupt. So I think if if you really squint hard enough, you'll see all of those individual infrastructure pieces floating together and back to what you guys did at Nutanix is how do you compose that to actually build solutions and solve problems, right? I think uh, Mm -hmm. it's pretty, pretty amazing.
1: And there's one more thing about, uh, you know, obviously we talk a lot about AI as a buzzword and um, in many ways, I mean, as I follow this movement the last couple of years, everybody said it's going to be TensorFlow and, you know, Google is going to go big after it and so on. And one thing that looks very similar to the way IBM Watson, uh, you know, kind of went through this fate as well, when your machine is not accessible, even though it's a big machine sitting, somewhere. so Watson machines were only uh, in IBM's data centers, and it was very difficult to access Watson. I think that's what happened to TensorFlow too. So that's why the reason why PyTorch has become so popular is because it's so accessible. It's yep. so decentralized, you know. The fact that I can run it on my laptop and build some models and test it, even while I'm disconnected, again goes back to this thing about access and decentralization that will affect the way people leverage machine learning and AI in the future as well.
0: No, that's that's uh, so well said, and I think you know it, it, there is the 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 paddles are I mean, it, there. It is it is at every different level, right? I mean, it's the whole notion of like distrust of centralized organizations like governments and stuff like that, like all those things. And then you take a step below. It is basically about like, how do you collaborate and communicate? And, you know, well, with the access opportunity, you're now creating new models for it all the way down to building technology, selling technology and and taking value out of it. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So since you touched AI, let's go into AI a little bit, right, Deeraj. And tell me about like, what do you, where is AI today? You know, what is solved what is still being solved what is worth solving just explore that for me
1: again a very profound question and um i wish there was an easy answer and and not that i even fully understand it um you know we have some really good experts that i learned from at devrev to who are deep into it and uh so they are learning to figure out how to interface that with design and even the crawl, walk, run of going from rule-based engine, which is prescriptive yeah. uh, to something that is, um, you know, a little bit more predictable, predictive, um, you know, which requires machine learning now to and models to come in. Um, I think, um, you know, there is this last 10 years of uh, machine learning and AI and then the next 10 years, I feel like the next 10 years, it has to be more invisible, more like oxygen, where it's everywhere. Like I don't see Google and Facebook talk about AI and ML uh, as Mm -hmm. much. I mean, obviously they have a PR issue there, which is like, what are they doing with my data? But in general, I think the best technologies, um, especially things like AI and ML, the more invisible they are, the better they are as well. And that's the challenge for a lot of us entrepreneurs is to, Make sure that we weave it in, like we talk about, for example, customer support as a use case. Now, one of the big challenges there is an engineering challenge, which is search engine. How do you really make search uh, extremely affordable? And not just syntactic search, but semantic search. And Mm -hmm. semantic search gets into the realm of machine learning, and it gets in the uh, realm of vector embeddings and you know how do you really figure out the right dictionary on every tenant basis and so on. So there's a lot of engineering challenges with uh, machine learning and AI which most people uh, underestimate including data engineering and collection challenges because that yeah. means you have to interface with machines to do a lot of mundane work of collecting data before you can try to make uh, ascribe meaning to it and really build models out of it. Uh, I think we are in the very early stages. It's like, uh, the way maybe the mobile technology and the cell phones were in 1995. I think mm-hmm. one was able to prove that cellular technology is, is sustainable possible, but to really make it work, it took 3g and it took manufacturing in China and it took so many other things to come together. Uh, and including a killer app like music to really an email to sit on top of it uh, and YouTube to sit on top of it for things to really emerge, you
0: know? No, it's, it's, um, it's, you're, you're so right. I think, you know, like I I forgot it was Maxwell who said it, any mature or in technology is indistinguishable from magic. Right. And, And so AI, the future of AI is invisibility for sure. Right. You have to weave it in. But I think you you touched upon a few things, right? One is when I view the market in AI and like you know selling to organizations, helping them set up their environments. It's very uh, it's interesting. There are two areas, one two two parts of the spectrum that are still largely unsolved, right? One is the data side of the spectrum, and that includes collecting data, storing data, putting in the format that you understand, you know, not spending enough more too much calories in trying to get the data ready so the value that you're going to get from AI or ML is actually completely out of whack. And then the other hand, other side is the actually three parts of the problem. One, the second part is the engineering problem, like you said, right? How do you do the interfacing of an algorithm in a Jupyter notebook is not an example of what it's going to run in production I mean that's not a good representation of what they're going to mm-hmm. deal with in production right mm-hmm. so that whole engineering t- uh, t- engineering challenge and I think it's more than just the ML ops buzzword that we hear about right now right mlops will solve parts of it but it's going to be a lot of people processes handoffs the collaboration between different parties involved in a building an AI or an automated decision system and the last thing you know I I think we want a lot more innovation in the market to is the experience, right? How do you interface with an automated decision system or a semi-automated decision system? And back, it brings back to your original comment on like, you know, the Apple is the simplicity, the whole notion of looking at minimalism and stuff like that. There is, I think there's a lot of opportunity still there because we haven't figured out the experience thing. I mean, like it's easy to actually give a recommendation, show you an evidence or an explainability but a lot, I you mean, know, what what will you do when you don't want to show to the user that this is actually it's AI, nine. right? I mean, it's invisible. You're right?
1: Yeah, in fact, if anything, uh, I feel like AI and design are two sides of the same coin. Uh, the best design systems will have recommendations coming in, machines speaking back, yeah. uh, but they'll also be humble. I mean, there was a really good article <laughs> in the journal maybe five, four, five months ago that humans trust Uh, bots that are humble. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know, that means a lot. I mean, because at some level, if a bot comes out to be too arrogant, they're like, yeah, whatever, you know. And (laughs) then the human is all about proving the bot wrong. But if the bot actually were to hedge it, like not be as self-righteous, you know, all of a sudden people start to trust the bot a little bit. Like, you know what? I'll give it a chance because every week it's improving. So (laughs) I'll give it a chance and I'll give it a chance and I'll maybe... Uh, you know, do help uh, learn some of these things. I mean, because bots also want to learn new things too. So there's, there's a lot of uh, trust building that's also involved within humans and machines that people also underestimate here, but design will play a big role in this. I mean, we, I mean, one of the things even at Nutanix and now at Debrev, um we definitely celebrate design a lot. And, think about it a lot and have hired quite a few of them. And, uh, it's not an easy problem. What we are solving at Devrev is to get rid of lots of silos of tools, uh, you know, tools that are used for bug tracking by developers and ticket tracking by support people and instant messaging, uh, by marketers and product managers. We're trying to bring this together and saying, we don't need so many tools. And in any case, uh, You know, you don't want to pay for these things. And if you really want to bring them all together, design will have to play a big role. And you still need to think about personas and workflows and use cases and day in the life of. And obviously, a lot of recommendations uh, that need to come up from machines which are about ML models, you know.
0: You know, it's interesting. I like the way you said it. It's like the AI and design are just two sides of the same coin. And it's almost like left brain, right brain, because one is all more mm-hmm. aesthetic-based and, you know, creativity-based. The other one is actually pure mathematics in most cases, right? And I think uh, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's just almost like you need both sides of that spectrum to make it work, mm-hmm. just like the human brain, right? Um, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Fascinating. Um, let's talk about DevRef. You know, uh, what is the... And there is this huge... And I, I read a couple of articles that you authored and, and you spoke at and stuff and the whole notion of developer empowerment, right? So you, you gave a little bit of an overview on uh, like what you're trying to solve for, but is that a collaboration system or is it more than that? What is the, what is the ethos of uh, DevRev and what are, we, what are you solving for? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the hardest problem you're trying to solve for right now is uh, can we have a system record that uh, is very product centric, and and extremely end user aware, you know, because that's where the best companies will will flourish, is when they're very aware of the end users' activities and engagement or lack thereof, and then what are they really using? Which is features and APIs, and you know what are the buying capabilities and and so on. Uh, and of course, there's a flip side to it, which is the dev side, you know, microservices and components and, um, you know, libraries and things like that. So developers today spend a lot of time on the dev parts they're building and not enough on the rev parts that are being used or not being used and sold and bought and priced and packaged. So I think the goal is that if you put the product at the center or even the user at the center, uh, you'll actually see a lot of these things emerge that you need to connect the two sides. You know, There's a customer side of it and there's a maker side of it, which is both product manager and the developer side of it. Um, I mean, many entrepreneurs and founders bemoan the fact that their product managers are too internal. They're too technical yeah. and they don't speak enough with the customer. And so by building a model, similar to the way Agile model was built, where you had to think about Okay, break it into smaller uh, goals and go checkpoint yeah. these smaller goals and you know mitigate risk by taking these smaller steps I think there's a very similar methodology and thinking that has to emerge around product centricity and end user centricity and then you have to change the object model around it too uh, so our system record mm-hmm. it's it's tracking work uh, you know issues on the developer side and tickets on the our customers and customer support side and conversations on the end user side, but they all have to come together and really speak the language of the product and the end user. You know, so we're building that system of record. And now, when you build a system record, the question is: Is it only built for the small and medium business where you go sell them an app and the app cannot change often enough, and it'll only have limited features, cannot be configured, cannot be programmed, cannot be customized, or you're building the system record that's highly programmable with a workflow engine, highly customizable object model. So we spend a lot of time doing that so that we're ready for the more complicated customers and discussions. So that's one piece. And the second one is engagement. Like, okay, systems of record have been boring. Nobody wants to go to them. They're slow. They're stodgy. They have too much metadata. It's only built for reporting for managers. Managers hang out. Doers don't hang out how do we make it fun for the doers? Uh, Like the way Slack was unstructured and, you know, free flowing and anybody can create whatever channels they want. So you don't want to lose out on the free flowing nature of it, uh, which is extremely social and grassroots up. Mm
0: -hmm. But at the
1: same time, as you grow into a serious business, you need structure, you need accountability, you need SLAs and prioritization and attribution and, ownership and all those things that need to come through metadata. So I think the the thing that we're really trying to balance at Deverev is, can you bring a system of record that's very modern, very product centric, very user centric so that customers actually become, our customers can become customer centric companies, but at the same time, don't make it a stodgy system of record, make it a very social, grassroots friendly, free flowing, system of engagement that happens to have a lot of rich metadata in. and who do you go sell this to i think in the more evolved companies you go and sell this to customer support people and talk about how they need to be modern and how machine learning needs to help them with a lot of you know work deflection case deflection deduplication routing stuff and attributing stuff and so on, you know, things that senior customer support people have been very good at because that's their experience they carry in their head about. And they invoke a lot of that experience. Ah, I've seen this before. Ah, I know who's supposed to work on this I and uh, so on and so forth. A lot of that can actually be done by machines, you know, so that I think customer success can then be a little bit more revenue friendly, renewals, friendly, subscription, friendly, worry about, uh, you know, not worrying about sand and transactions and firefighting all the time, but worry about the rocks and pebbles in that relationship, you know. So that's one use case, that's customer success, customer support. And the other one is to the, uh, you know, I would say the burgeoning founder developer who is building a company from scratch. And, you know, they want something that in the very beginning is customer centric and product centric, you know, so can we bring something to them. We don't have to actively sell to them and and Mm -hmm. kind of make money out of them, but can we build something with them that as they grow, we also grow with them.
0: Interesting. Now, is there a long play in making sure every company doesn't require sales and marketing people and developers can just directly influence revenue? I'm just curious. No,
1: I mean, this is where I feel like, uh, you know, this, what you just said fails the Maya test. You know, Maya is an acronym that Raymond Lowy came up with like, you know, about 30 years, 30, 40 years ago. He's one of the, uh, well-known designers who basically created many of these brands in the U S consumer brands. And, you know, so the acronym is most advanced yet acceptable.
0: Yeah.
1: Most advanced yet acceptable. Um, uh, Google Glasses failed the Maya test because you didn't trust if I was wearing a glass that was recording our conversation unbeknownst to you. Um, Google's uh, plus, the idea of circles where you could add anybody and there was no notion of a walled garden and privacy and confidentiality that failed the Maya test. There's so many things that have failed the Maya test. And I think this thing that, hey, product-led growth and uh, the idea that You could do so many more things in a PLG fashion. We'll get rid of the product manager or we'll get rid of the salesperson. It's probably flawed. Uh, Just because, I mean, as I wrote in my last post, the computer and the human are here to stay. Uh, And uh, the question is, how can we elevate the lives of the human? You know, how can we elevate the lives of a product manager so that they can actually be paid to think rather than to fight fires all the time, you know, Uh, and the same thing is true for salespeople or marketing people where uh, they can go focus on users who matter and let the others simmer through the funnel of product-led growth and freemium and all that stuff, you know, so there's a ton of uh, new data and new analytics that will help them, elevate their roles to more meaningful campaigns and more meaningful engagement, and more meaningful sales uh, opportunities and so on. You know, so I feel like the idea that PLG will get rid of salespeople completely fails the Maya test because at the end of the day, you know, any meaningful transaction you can call meaningful, you know, hundred thousand or a million or five million doesn't really matter. It depends on the scale of at which you operate. Uh, humans want to deal with humans because it's someone else's money. In B2B, you're actually managing someone else's money and you'll get fired for doing it wrong. Uh, And there's a ton of bureaucracy and politics and resource allocation uh, conflicts that happen in a a business that they don't want to be simply at the mercy of a machine selling to them. Mm -hmm. They want to know who the person on the other side is. They want to understand Gartner Magic Quadrant they all want to actually be a little bit more on their defensive when it comes to making these more meaningful decisions. So I think the salesperson is here to stay. The question is, can you make them uh, more meaningfully engaged and probably fight fewer fires?
0: Oh, it's, um, no, it's, it's just comes back to the whole promise of something like, there's nothing artificial about artificial intelligence, right? It's like, it's, and I, I actually wrote a blog back in 2016 or something like AI should be augmented intelligence, right? Because that's where the big opportunity is. Because you want to augment the human being to elevate their living condition, right? Whatever be it, right? Is it about take away the mundane so you're actually making them focus on the creative side? It's about making mm-hmm, mm-hmm. them, you know, let be less frustrated. Like in healthcare, for example, I mean, it's pathetic to see how physicians use, uh, you know, their workflow engines and systems today, right? great opportunity just go and say look don't worry about search and retrieval shouldn't be your problem you should be caring for the patient there's the the aspect of it and, and mm-hmm. today medicine is all about you know triage and finding problems and solving it rather than the care aspect of medicine right it's a it's a very it's a, one example but you're so right i think you know and, and more like a it was more a question from uh, as, a, as a taunt to actually try tease that out if you will right i strongly do believe that i mm-hmm. think do the the coexistence of humans and machines always going to be there? It's going to far, uh, well, you yeah. know. It, it's I mean, going I look at far... some roles.
1: Yeah, I mean, some roles will will go away, will disappear. I mean, and it has. Be, if you right? think, I mean, just think about it. Like, uh, trading floor on New York Stock Exchange, almost <laughs> almost problem. gone, right? Yeah, almost gone. Problem. Now that's not because of AI as much as it is because of digitization you know the fact that people didn't want to really do this physically and and machines were doing it and you know now there's so much high frequency trading and you know there's a lot of algorithmic trading now that happens you know so many roles will disappear uh the question is how do these folks actually go do bigger better things so Banking absolutely. is still a large business. Trading is still a large business for Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan Chase and Morgan Stanley. The question is, how do they actually go and make it more meaningful for an impatient user that wants to transact in seconds, not minutes or hours? You
0: know? No, no, absolutely. I think, you know, it's the, the, the human history, right? has shown like when machines automated the factories, I mean, we didn't have, you know, the jobs that we have today back in the day. So everybody, you know, there's always going to be a faction of the society. There's going to be some displacement, but the bigger opportunity, the, the this is not a zero sum game, right? There's a net, net positive sum mm-hmm. where you're actually going to create more opportunities and more um, access. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: and, you know, and honestly, uh, think of the the stuff that's, uh, you know, like I was reading an article maybe four or five years ago, I'll forward it to you to mm-hmm. why robotic Robotic automation in factories has been such a struggle. And the reason is very simple. It's change management. The fact that it is extremely cumbersome to upgrade these robots. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it has been faster to retrain humans than to upgrade these robots, you know. And I'm like, it's fascinating. You know, we live in this dopey world of uh, Silicon Valley where everything has to be done by machines. And then you get to the reality of change management and relearning and upgrade software and all that stuff. And humans are faster and and they're more um, elastic than machines. A classic
0: example is just AI, right? In a lot of places where you actually see people, the amount of calories, the time, and the, the things they're doing to actually use AI to solve a problem, The human walks by, looks at it and says, I know exactly what you're talking about. Here's the thing. It's a classic example, right, where you you have to find the right fit. And, you know, again, you may do it for other reasons because it doesn't probably bring joy to the human being who's actually doing that job. So that's a great candidate Mm -hmm. for saying let's Mm -hmm. automate that, let's make it digital and so forth. Absolutely. um, Absolutely. um, Interesting. Very cool. So, um, you know, we're in 2022, uh, businesses, organizations, you know, we're about to potentially enter a recession. I don't know how long it's going to last, but, you know, I, um, what, how, you know, techno- there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of um, action, and we saw how digital transformation across organization just sped up so much and so forth, right? How can technology be a force multiplier in this moment in history, right? Right now, for if you're an organization, so let me more more practically, like, what advice do you have for business leaders and C-suite executives looking at investing in technology today?
1: Uh, again, uh, a question that probably is a, has a very difficult answer, but let me take a stab at it. I mean,
0: um, I love open-ended.
1: Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's and it's something that I want to make sure that I don't come out as very prescriptive and yet, uh, you know, I can provide some suggestions the way I would do it. Um, I think if you look at the people side of things, obviously there's inflation, there is, um, there's going to be a a OPEX increase because of inflation as well. And uh, I think one has to think about going and getting talent anywhere and everywhere you know and that means uh, you know being flexible on other parts of the us as well you know what does it mean to go hire people not just in texas but also in florida and in colorado and wherever else i think so we have to be more open to that it's not a perfect world because people will say when you're really building something from scratch you need everybody here so that's where design will need to come in organizational design like how do you bring people together x number of times a year so that they can still go back and work from wherever they are, uh, I think is a piece that uh, will become the order of the day, uh, given where the demands are for this market. Um, I feel like uh, there is extreme room for consolidation, and that's basically a self-fulfilling me uh, thing for me to say, but there's lots mm-hmm. of tools. And uh, if anything, SaaS has created a prol- proliferation of... Uh, of uh, companies and tools as well, because it's become that much simpler to engineer a product um, on a website and and then the cloud. So now how do you really bring them together? I think the the chemistry between, between products is missing. There's still a lot of silos of tools and products. So there will probably be a need for consolidation, just like there's going to be consolidation of companies in these coming three years. there will be consolidation of workflows and consolidation of tools as well. That'll happen. Um, Sorry. I, Just drop my um, AirPod here. Um, Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Um, I think uh, uh, more and more things are moving to the cloud and, you know, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that there's a lot of stuff that people are still running uh, on-prem. And uh, I think it's the tyranny of the status quo in some sense. And uh, uh many of these things i mean you know i go back to my own learning in the last couple of years and reminds me of sapiens there's a couple of pages in sapiens that uh where the author conjectures like the what happened with the discovery of fire you know and he talks about um a couple of things very interesting I mean, obviously it's a conjecture but he says Uh, that there were two energy sinks in, in human body, you know, there is the intestines and there's the brain. And these are the two places that take suck the most amount of energy, you know, and um, there was this world before fire where, you know, the human gut had to be longer because raw meat had to be digested. And then there's a world after fire, a discovery fire when cooked meat needed, didn't need as long an intestine. So he's saying that, you know, probably the homo sapiens, the intestine shrunk as part of the evolution of this. And then more of the energy started going to the brain. So they could actually do more intelligent things. And that's why we became the most intelligent species. Maybe it has to do with fire. And I really love that uh, metaphor because I feel like when we started building this in the cloud, what we've done in a matter of year, year and a half, uh, probably would have taken three to four years on-prem. So developers are actually having to eat cooked meat uh, rather than raw meat, you know. And uh, you know, for many of the things, I mean we use MongoDB, we use uh, Elasticsearch, we use Redis, we use uh, DynamoDB, we use Kubernetes, we use a lot of these technologies, but we don't carry the pager. We forget about, you know, hosting it, but we don't even carry the pager for these things. And that doesn't mean that it's inexpensive, but in terms of the way co- where consumption is moving uh, you know, at the very least, you know, when you have to build something from scratch, you can do a lot of these things right. without really having to commit to something big and worth hundreds right. of thousands of dollars and so on. You know, So I think to the right. technology leaders out there, I, I would uh, recommend they actually look at this new way of, you know, OpEx way of consuming rather than capex way of consuming as well. Um, and uh, you know, again, it's cliche to say this, but, There's a lot that, uh, you know, machines will do going forward, but it has to be applied. It has to be through an application. And, uh, you know, there's tons of applications that are out there these days about, uh, you know, people's performance and HR and, um, you know, front office use cases and mid office use cases and back office use cases. So they should all look at modern ways of not just storing information, which basically we all did in the last 30 years, we digitized. Uh, paper onto machine records. But now to really go and say, "Oh, how do we get to the next level of uh, engagement and intelligence and records uh, will require modernizing a lot of this stuff. Because, uh, I mean, you could argue, like, why would they touch it? Because in a world of recession, they shouldn't have to. But I feel like the maximum innovation actually happens in the next three years where new technologies, new products will come out and the pent-up demand will speak. Um, You you look at the early 1990s, you look at 2003 and beyond, you look at 2010 and beyond, and you realize how so much innovation actually happened in those years, which basically was waiting for demand, and demand came, and poor strings opened up, and and, very large companies were formed. So I feel like uh, the real lesson for the technology leaders is uh, keep an eye on what's uh, really being innovated upon because in the next couple of years, as you get more confident about spend, uh, you will need to start to go and invest in some of these new things as well.
0: That is awesome. And, and the last thing that you just said also... You know, given these kind of downturns or recessions also cause that, it also creates a constrained system, which is actually really good for innovation in general. You're right.
1: Absolutely. System, right? Absolutely. I mean, the constraints are never a bad thing. I mean, necessity, mother's invention. I mean, you know, we raised uh, upwards uh, 60 to 65 million dollars in a seed round in probably Silicon Valley history's largest seed round but we are still acting like we're a very small company and we've only raised 10 million as opposed to 65 million. And that those That's constraints me. help because, um, you know, there's a really good podcast speaking of uh, podcasts, you know, by Brené Brown, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it's, it's, she goes through the book stretch and she talks about stretchy versus chasey. And I think now is the time to stretch, you know, as opposed to chase and, the time to chase will come, but it's probably two years out.
0: That's awesome. Awesome. Very good. I want to, you know, explore one more topic and topic of entrepreneurship and leadership in these turbulent times, right? And it probably has to do with the initial part of the conversation we talked about, that Zen, the whole notion of how do we actually just control the things that we can control or focus on the things we can't control and stuff. What's your advice to, and it's the flip side of the same question, but advice to entrepreneurs and leaders out there who are managing these turbulent times, right? With you know, founders like myself, yourself, you know, know, folks who are thinking of entrepreneurship right now, give me a, a, you know, somewhat prescriptive uh, guidance for them, if you will.
1: Mm. Well, um, you know, I I say there's, you can have a war within your mind uh, of all the self-doubts and what's not going to work. But what always helps you is when you talk to customers. Uh, because then opportunities arise and you're like, oh, wow, they are actually looking at that very delightfully. So, you know, so the more time entrepreneurs and founders and leaders spend with customers, the better it is for everybody, you know, because then
0: not are the fighting customers.
1: within,
0: say that again? Not the VC, but the customers. <laughs> customers. Not the VCs. That's...
1: Yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, of course you need money as well. So do whatever it takes to raise capital. But uh, get the dopamine, the endorphin, the oxytocin, the serotonin. Get the EDSO, as Mike, Simon Sinek talks about it, from customers, you know, talking to customers and uh, even hiring people. When You know, I look at uh, employees as customers, too, and how do you really spend time with them and, you know, get to understand them so that they also have a bigger sense of belongingness and ownership of the company as opposed to just being a cog in the wheel. You know, that's really, really important, you know um so get get the get the dopamine and the endorphins from talking to these customers um i think breathing is very helpful you know uh one of the things that has uh helped me as an entrepreneur just one moment you know my it's my eight-year-old you know just one moment
0: sure 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 Sounds good
1: uh, but that no, we,
0: we, uh, it's awesome <laughs> it's, no, it's an it's example life. of how yeah, hybrid right. life is right you're i mean it's not work right. or right. home anymore go ahead sorry you're right yeah. you're right
1: you're right um the second thing is i mean breathing i think you know there's tons of naysayers you will have along the way people who laugh at you uh the fence sitters who actually feel like you know i'm still going to wait for other fence sitters or other believers and then finally the believers and I think uh, somebody, I don't know, probably 30, 40 years ago talked about the, uh, the bell curve of uh, adoption of any new product. And that's a rite yep. of passage. And I think everybody should normalize that, that you will lead, you know, have to deal with a ton of late majority and laggards who are being paid to not take risks. You know, they'll not take risks, you know, until this product really has gone through the hump of the bell in some sense, you know. Uh, So deal with the innovators and the early majority majority folks, the early adopters, find them. There has to be able to qualify them, you know, and know how they do what they do. Why are they the rebels in their organizations and so on? I think it's really important to normalize that because the world is not uh, just built for one kind. It's built for a whole bell curve distribution of folks who take risks and folks who don't take risks, you know. And finally, conserve cash. You know, I think uh, it's trying to be stretchy
0: and whatever it takes to stretch uh,
1: the dollar, uh, it's the right thing to do right now. You
0: know. Awesome. Dheeraj, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending the time. Uh, can I ask you one last question, More, uh, probably a little personal question? Mm-hmm. What's your morning routine like? Just give me your morning routine, if you have one, I mean.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, uh, work begins early for me now these days. Um, and when work ends late for me, I sleep a little longer. Um, uh, I, I make sure that I do sleep well, um, at least seven hours. And you know, I try to, uh, these days I'm actually doing yoga late in the night so that I can sleep better. Um, you know, and, uh,
0: Actually, you know,
1: very low temperature. I think I've been told it has to be six, seven, six, eight Fahrenheit. So I'm doing some of those things. Uh, When I wake up, uh, you know, I'll be honest. I've not been disciplined enough to not touch my phone, so I do touch my phone. Uh, And then uh, I have a really good coffee machine in which I've started to make my own oatmeal cappuccino, and you know, I'm trying out new things in the in the coffee machine. Uh, and uh, then saying good morning and and love you to kids and my wife and basically start with that. And then, of course, I'm a sucker for news and I need to get to news. I need to get to the stock market uh, and look at how things are. But uh, I think, you know, that's how my day starts. And then, of course, meetings and customers and all that comes uh, relatively quickly.
0: Do you meditate regularly? I uh, do yoga
1: and I used to do it with uh, a trainer, uh, with a teacher, and I continue to do that. But uh, also these days I'm trying to do it on my own because uh, I feel like um, stress also brings, I mean, I am going to turn 47 this August and you know now I need to also worry about how to age gracefully. And, and you can see the body parts that actually are beginning to make a little bit of a squeaky, Sound and so on, <laughs> so you got to take care of things a little bit as well, you know, and eat well. And of course, as I said, breathe and sleep well, you know.
0: That is awesome, Dheeraj. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending the time. Where can the viewers and listeners find you on the internet other than the news the
1: uh, on uh, Twitter uh, at Deeraj, uh, Dheeraj D H E E R A J and also okay. on LinkedIn? Um, I'm uh, equally accessible, I respond to everybody, and I, and I'm a sucker for. Hearing from people, you know, as long as people are constructive and positive and authentic, uh, I'd love to respond to them.
0: That's amazing. Tearaj, thanks so much. Such a blast conversation. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, I encourage you to do three things. Number one, share with your friends and family. If someone else can learn from this, get inspired and take action, they need to. Number two, subscribe so you do not miss a single episode. You can do it at your favorite podcast location or at youtube.com. Number three, let me know if you have any questions, comments or ideas for me or my guests. And check out storiesinai.com to access show notes and more resources. Thank you for listening. See you next time.